Hi, I'm Ben Richardson, and you're listening to the Karate Podcast, where we talk about karate, the competitive sport of Kumite, and the warrior's journey. Brought to you in association with Kumite Coach, the world's first progressive online high-definition coaching platform, created by coaches and fighters for coaches, fighters, and students of karate. Join KumiteCoach.com today and take your karate to the next level. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Karate Podcast. I'm really excited to have with me today one of my favorite karateka, Steve Carlos Sensei from the Warsaw Karate Dojo. Steve's been in karate for over 40 years. He's a sixth degree black belt and one of the senior instructors in JKS England. He's a full-time karate professional and has a dedicated dojo in Warsaw, teaching high level karate to the populace there. He's a former international competitor, two times silver medalist in team committee with, at the SKI European Championships. He's also a multiple title holder for national champion of Kata in FICO and multiple title holder as a national champion for SKI GB in both Kumite and Kata. So Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely brilliant to see you. Um, Can we just start off with discussing the events or experiences that actually led you into your karate? This was a long time ago, as you explained. It was 40 years ago. I was... um, I don't have many uh, memories of it, really. But what I do remember is um, being an eight-year-old boy and in my head, and I don't know where this came from, what experiences led me to that uh, thinking. But I said to my dad one day, Dad, I want to do judo. Um, And I can't remember how long it took, but he did come back to me and he says, Son, I don't know a judo club, but I found a good karate club up the road which uh, felt a little bit strange in hindsight because um, I was from Wolverhampton and Wolverhampton had a huge judo club and in the 70s, 80s and 90s, early 90s, they had like Olympic and world champions um, coached by a guy called Mac Abbotts and we we were Olympic champions like Kerith Brown, people like that were from Wolverhampton. Um, So I don't know how my dad didn't find that club. He actually came back back and said, um, there's a karate club. And um, and they took me in the car, my mom and dad, for the first lesson. I was eight years old. And I I recall loving it, coming away. And then something happened. We went back for the second lesson. I cried my eyes out, didn't want to go. My dad and they went in there. The chief instructor of the club at that time was a guy called Paul Carter who subsequently, about a year later, left because of a bad back, and a guy called Kelvin Rayner took over, and he still runs that club to this day. Wow. Uh, so I was like 40, 41 years ago. He's a JKS member. Um, so he still runs it. It's a small club, um, but a very long-standing club. Um, but the assistant was a guy called Paul Everton, who basically sat me to one side and my second lesson and uh, gave me a good talking to, really put his arm around me, and that was it. I sort of carried on from that point, really, and stuck with that club for quite a few years. Fantastic. And was, I mean, four years is, you know, a long time to be in karate. So at what point do you recall thinking, actually, this is something I'm going to stick at. This is something that's just going to be become part of my life from day to day. 
Yeah, after that first experience, I think um, I remember getting through to black belt and I was only 11 and we did a black belt in Nottingham with Asano Sensei. All my grades from ninth Q up to fifth Dan were with Asano Sensei, an SKO organization under Asano and Kanazawa. And I remember traveling up to Nottingham. We did my black belt grade and I did that. Um, and probably up till about the age of like early teens, I just cracked on with it, really. I, I started entering competitions. Um, and then I sort of fell out of love with it as people do in early teens. And I remember really having some hard talks with my dad. And he says, look, you're not quitting. If you're quitting, you've got to go and tell the instructor. And basically he was dragging me there for a while. Um, and I sort of got over that and then, when I was 18, I really started, I'd been quite successful in competitions. Um, the Wolverhampton scene was quite buzzing at the time in karate, but it was very Wadaroo based. Yeah. We had UKF world champions from my hometown, Jerome Atkinson, Mike Salesman, fantastic competitors, all from basically one club, which was run by a guy called Eddie Cox, who, um, who used to run open competitions in the area. And like when I was like what we call cadet age now, I used to wipe the floor in those open competitions. I used to go and I used to beat like the juniors of Jerome Atkinson and Mike Salesman and that. And I got onto what was called the Wolverhampton All-Star Squad where we used to have the Black Country Olympics and we used to like compete 10 man teams where you used to have women, uh, children and men all together. And the four local towns, Dudley, Walsall, Wolverhampton, Sandwell, used to compete together. And it was a good thing. But by the time I got to about 18, I'd sort of got sucked into the SKI way. Um, and sort of, I, I really had a big, I was really influenced by Asano Sensi, by the way he lived his life. Um, and I started to think, wow, what a life he's got. Like, you know, he's traveling around the country teaching karate. He doesn't have to go to the factory or to the office, yeah. you know. And then there was people around at the time um, in my early days, like Aidan Trimble, yeah. who was sort of like this, in, in our world, in our little small SKI world, he was like a superstar. You know, uh, he'd gone on, he'd got himself on the All-Stars team and he won the first w, uh, first SKI World Championship in Japan, beat the Japanese. And he was like uh, this like superstar person. I remember going to the championships and he was Yoko getting people off the mat <laughs> and sweeping them two leg sweeps. And he was like a massive influence really very early on. So it got me re-engaged with it. And then by the time I was 18, I'd got the bug for wanting to be a champion of SKI. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have continued on the open scene a lot more because at that level, when I was about 14, I was winning quite a lot in Kassar and Kumite. Um, but I got sucked in. Um, when, when I started karate, I was quite lucky in the fact that I walked into a karate club that was an SKI club. Like you pr presumably walked into a KUGB club. Yeah, yeah. But very where we were, there was like Wadaroo and SKI. KUGB wasn't very big because if you go back historically, it was one of the few clubs that broke away in 1973. There was sort of like a big Asano following in Nottingham, in sort of Leicester, in Wolverhampton. And I just walked into that club, and so I got sucked into the SKI way of life, really, rather than the KUGB way of life. And yeah. that's all we knew. I know you were young, and and uh, that's it. Um, so 
around about 18 through to 21, I really became determined to become a champion. That was my goal. But I was very much set on becoming like Aiden Trimble uh, in SKI. Uh, in terms of going full time, um, I never really thought about it at that stage. That came much later. The only person who I really knew was full-time was Asano Sensei. I knew of these other guys in other parts of the country, but basically we believed and was brought up to believe that he's the full-time instructor. We support that. Yeah. Um, uh, we just, we've got a club in a social club and we're volunteers. Um, yeah. and, and it was a social club mentality to karate that I grew up with, really. Um, but I started to see past that later in my career. And I started my own club in 2006 and two in, in uh, I was 24 at the time because I started to realize that things could be done a bit differently, a bit more professionally. Um, I'd started my career at the same time and I'd started to get a lot of um, ideas about managing things uh, and, and leadership. Um, and I think things could be done a little bit differently. And I started to realize that we could grow this thing and have um, better quality as a result. And I used to teach my own club. And then I started teaching at a kickboxing club, which was run by a lady whose real passion was Shotokan Karate. So she used to like us going there. Um, but she rented out the space to um, a club that's still going that's sort of branched more into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu these days. Yeah. Um, and that was in Warsaw. So she used to have, like me to go down there. And I think really she was saying, I'd like to get you in because my passion is Shatakan Karate. But I, we only used to take the room once of a weekend. Um, and this guy had just joined a company called EFC, Educational Funding Company. Yeah. Um, and he was saying, like, basically, I'm going to go professional. I'm going to do this. And I picked up this leaflet off the side and I started reading. And I, thought, and I was looking at the finances with EFC and thought, you can do it. You can do it. And that was like a ka moment for me when I read that. I think these schools are turning over. I can make a salary on that. Mm. You know, so I actually joined them in 2000. And then from then, really, it was about 2000. I thought, I'm going to make this work financially for me. But it was a hard job for me compared to a lot of people because I had a good career. Yeah. Um, when I left, finally left to become a full-time instructor over 10 years ago, I was, um, I was um, on the board of directors of Goodyear Great Britain. So that was like I had, I had medical care, I had company car, I had a bonus scheme, and I gave it all up because ultimately that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something I had a passion for. Yeah. So that was sort of the journey, really, in terms of um, going through what I always wanted to do. And it's been successful since. It's yeah, successful. that's incredible. So do you, do you feel that karate, the, the mentality um, and the insight karate has given you, do you think that helped you make that decision? Because a lot of people in life aim for the high salary, the benefits, the, you know, the security, the security, as it were, of a of a high paying job and you're at this point where you've got those things but you realize that's not my passion i want to yeah. be i want to be you know brave and take that step into into that world do you think karate you know gave you that confidence or do you think you've always had it no i think i started to realize at that time i was sort of when i actually um it took me 10 years really from the moment i picked up that leaflet and started working on it 
But in the meantime, my career was taking off with Goodyear. I, I moved to Luxembourg. I spent four years in Luxembourg. I continued karate practice there with a really high-level WKF club. Uh, it wasn't very Shotokan, very traditional, but it was. I learned a lot there. They had European champions, um, and I was asked to teach there. I trained there. Um, I started getting involved with some of the WKF people from France, like Mikel Milan, and, and also like the more traditional people like Sensi Cassie's organisation. Um, so I, I had that 10-year journey, really, um, until I finally gave it up. But what happened was my wife was pregnant um, with our little boy, Frankie, at the time. Um, I got a huge job. I was at one point um, towards the end of my career, I was managing seven, a team of 76 people. Um, and then I was trying to teach a uh, hobby. I was trying to train at a high level. Mm. And something had to give, you know. Um, and so I gave up my job, you know, so something I had to give. And it was like a big, big conversation with my wife. I had to take her around to some martial arts school for a year saying, look, these guys can make a living. We can do it. And she got convinced in the end. And it was tough at first yeah. um, to something like that, you know, but it financially, financially, you have to look at those considerations. You yeah. know, it's all right. I want to do as a living, but you've got to make it work. Um, and ultimately, the moment uh, I always say, people say, oh, it's not a business. So, well, if you charge something, it becomes a business. You don't you don't do it for free. Yeah, it's, it's, everything's a business. It just depends whether you do it right and with the right morals and you're true to yourself or not. Um, and if your karate is good, like you'll have a successful club anyway and, and you, you treat people fairly. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who um, who are now martial arts professionals. Um, but there's only a handful really that run a full-time dedicated dojo like yourself. And you've got a fantastic dojo in Warsaw. It's, it's probably one of the best dojos I've ever been to. Um, how did you discover that that venue and, and what does it take to run a successful dojo? Um, I, I discovered it by chance, really. We were, we were looking for a long time and it was a gym. It's got a checkered history. It's a big building. Uh, it's 4,000 square foot. We've got two dedicated training areas. Um, but it was a gym from 1992 till we picked up this particular building in 2013. Um, and I got to know the lady who ran it. She ran it with her husband. Um, and basically, it was a bit dilapidated. And when they picked up the gym, there was very little competition in the area. Um, but there was lack of pure gyms, there was lack of fitness first. Um, but over the years, that became a bit uh, saturated, that gym market. And as a small independent, I think that was starting to struggle. And you could see it when you walked in the building. So by chance, she said, look, I want to get out of this. And I said, whoa, uh, speak to me. So I just started speaking to the lady who ran the gym. And then we took it from there. And we got in touch with the landlord and took over the lease and they're rather happy with what we've got. And they said we can have it for 20 to 30 years if we wish. Great. So we've um, we've done a lot of work on it, converted it into a dojo. It's hard work. It's an old building. Um, but I've got some great people around me having a big club. Um, you've got lots and lots of people to call upon with lots of skills. Um, but on the flip side, it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so let's step back a little bit. Um, over, so you, you, you've been in SKI initially as a karateka 
and you said up to fifth down, Asano Sensei was was grading you. Was he the only influence you had in terms of driving you forward? You mentioned Aiden Trimble as well in the competitive side. What what are the major influences or impacts people have had on you through your martial arts career? Those were the very early ones, really. Um, there's lots of people who I take from SKI um, who um, too many to know, really. And I used to be very inspired by the KUGB as well, to be honest. I remember watching the old uh, VHS videos of like the cutters and watching them. And then the old, um, watching the old 19... Uh, 87 JK championships with Kagarin doing Sochin and then I used to enjoy that and then on the Kumite side I used to have the old videos with Tiki Donovan and uh, Pat McKay and Jerome Atkinson watching those and just being inspired by them really but um, I've got other influences over the years when I was younger I sort of got involved with quite a few martial arts but it was only really I liked the idea of Shotokan I liked the structure of it I like the conservative nature of the organization behind it and the training. Um, I, over the years, I went to many, many seminars through my career. And I always remember somebody saying, I like to be liberal in a conservative environment. And I think that's a bit me. So Stratican is very, very conservative in many ways. But I like to play around within that, you know, but not really change it too much. Um, there's people who've come, I've come across, there's a guy from Wolverhampton um, who, I don't know whether you've ever heard of him. Um, I I used to train to improve my karate and kickboxing and tie boxing for a while. And there used to be like this famous gym in Wolverhampton and it was in a proper rough area. And eventually they had these tie boxers had to move out because it was a bit rough with their existence. And he used to go down there. And it was the freestylers in Heathtown, and then it became Trojan Tie, and they had uh, Dave Atkinson and Kirkwood Walker and Eval Denton yeah. and these guys. But one guy who really influenced me, you, we had him down to teach our clubs a couple of times, was Dave Atkinson. Um, it was John Atkinson's brother. John Atkinson was famous, and Kirkwood Walker went on to become a star in Japan in K1. Wow. But Dave went on to study quite deeply with um, Carly, yeah, he was, um, but I, I was never interested in going that route at all. It just does, I know, I know it's a big love of yours, Ben, but I just don't get weapons um, as in training. I know I should. I know it's probably a good thing, but it's probably like you in football. I just don't get it. And I, I, it doesn't interest me. Um, my weapons training is run away. <laughs> that's a good thing. But I've got inspiration from other places as I've gone through life as well. Like people inspire me, like um, um, in terms of my career, I did a lot of studies and management courses with like people like Jack Welsh, the famous CEO of um, uh, General Electric, who basically used to say, if you can't be first or second in an industry, get out. That's sort of like, if I'm not, and that was me really. I, um, when we left SKI, I had my own federation for a while, while we looked around, and that lasted four years while I decided to go to JKS. And I looked around everywhere, because it wasn't like I wanted to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm. You know, I wanted to make it. And we ended up, like, a few people following us, and we ended up with, like, a group of about seven clubs scattered around the country. And I ran that for about four years before we joined JKS. But I thought... I can never be number one or two organization in the world. But what I can do is build a, the best grassroots club that's ever been. 
Yeah. And and things like that. You know, I know what I can be good at, and I know what I, there's too many people want to go for statuses. I think. Yeah. But you'll never you never look yourself in the mirror and being I'm the best what I can be. And then like I look at like music and like silly stars that like, I have always admired people like Billy Ocean. And I always remember that story about him. Nobody would give him a chance. And he was working at the on the production line in Fort Dagenham. And he quit that night because his song is he went to an independent record label. Love really hurts without you. Went to number one. And he just did it off his own back. Like, you know, and every time that he was down, he'd get back up and rewrite a great song. And and those kind of people, like, they're, they're not to do with martial arts at all, but it's just that, like, never give up attitude or, like, try to be number one. And because my boy is so much into football these days, I look at football for influences, not because of purely the game, but because of how it works, the mentality, getting the best out of people, how they manage their clubs. You know, and the differences in that. I try to take influences from that as well, even through coaching, like like sort of how can we sort of like keep the pressure on people like Barcelona do, keep pressing high. How can we do that in fighting? Like, you know, like when I'm like teaching some of my young guys, like don't sort of back off. How do it? Like, you know, when you when you lose the initiative, seize it back within 10 seconds, you know, and in karate, it's even shorter. So the influences these days aren't really karate, I must say. Um, I try to apply it back to karate because that's my life and my business. Yeah. Um, but the influences are probably from elsewhere these days. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Um, so over your career, has, has there been any particular factors or um, events that have made you choose different training partners, different coaches? Do you get influenced in a certain way by things you see? Um, how's yeah. that? Okay, basically, um, earlier on in my career, like I basically you do what your club instructor said, but basically when, when I got to that point about 18, um, I started realising I need to do a bit more. So I started finding different coaches. So that was probably the first real um, time I started to go out and search for people. And I was sort of like, when I was trying to like become the champion of SKI in Kumite, um, as an example, I'd sort of like, I'd travel up to Nottingham every Tuesday to train in, under a side, I'd do my club training uh, two times a week, Monday, Wednesday. Then on a Tuesday, I'd be to Nottingham. I'd travel up straight away and go and travel with Asana. I'd travel 60 miles, then come back. And then on Friday, I thought I'll have some technical training. There was a great guy I used to train with, Ken Organ, um, who was very technical. Um, he used to, he was good catacoach. I used to go to him. And then on a Saturday, I used to go and train at Paul Campbell's dojo, who's now EKF director. Um, and I used to spar with him and some of his guys. And uh, he used to hit hard. He used to hit hard. He was a tough, tough guy. Uh, and I used to fight, I used to go Saturday lunchtime. So that was the first time I used to go and like find little pieces that work for me. And I felt for a while, I probably did that for about two years. And then I sort of changed again. Um, but now it's, it's more about probably finding instructors. Um, that we get people into the club. Um, we have to select people for our squad and I have to select people to go for JKS England squad. Then eventually, like over the years, we've had a few go on to the EKF squad. 
Um, I find that really difficult at the moment. I find a lack of interest. People want to go to EKF. Mm. Although some of my guys con constantly beating competitions, EKF, like medalists and competitors, I find um, that needs to be more welcoming. But that's a part of the process now. But I try to make that because of my nature. I try to make it as analytical as possible to take away the, the human aspect. So we have league in the club. So we, we each year we have a league. So you get so many points and the, the factor per competition. So we have a number of competitions that people can um, enter. And then if they reach the top of the league, they get invited to our squad. If they medal at so many events at a certain level in the year, then they get invited to JKS England squad. So I take away the personal aspect of that. So my selecting people these days is to become instructors, basically. And we have a train. It's been a bit hard during the pandemic and things have got lost a little bit. But I have about six to eight training instructors. Um, and most of them are squad members, but not all of them. Yeah. Um, it's not for everybody. Um, and um, in terms of my senior instructors, sometimes needs must in a karate club. You use who you've got and who's keen to just get stuck in. Yeah, but yeah. ideally, I try to look at people who sort of um, compliment me a little. So I'm a bit, um, during my previous career, I've had lots of like tests. And I don't know whether you've ever heard of Myers-Briggs tests. Yes, um, so I know what I am. I'm very, I'm a little bit introverted. I'm not extremely introverted, but I'm a bit introverted. I'm very analytical. Um, so I'm not um, somebody who wants to go out there and go, hey guys. Yeah. Uh, so I'm always looking for people who can like compliment that, who's sort of the go getters. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm my my comfort zone is sitting here on this computer analyzing numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes me a lot to go out that door and go on in front of people I'm comfortable when I get there I'm comfortable yeah. and I can do it and hopefully like I can do it quite well these days but the dojo runs well because I'm probably a very organised and analytical person rather than being um, like uh, I don't know a very upfront person yeah yeah sure so, like, I'd like to. My, my biggest challenge at the moment is coming to the stage of life and, and the career that I'm at. Is um, I still got a gear on probably 15 to 16 hours a week, and at 48, the body feels it sometimes. Yeah. So it's managing that really, but I'm still on the lookout for a good number two, somebody who can take over the reins really, and that's my challenge over the next two or three years to find somebody to step in who's got the gravitas. And who can actually like lead a lot of this like dojo and organization really? Yeah. Haven't found that person yet. I've got some, I've had some great candidates over the years, but you you need somebody who actually wants to say, like I did all those years ago, I want to do this. I want to be a professional karate instructor. Yeah. And believe it or not, it's harder to find than you think. Oh, I know. You it. probably know that yourself. <laughs> so yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I'll double end this question. Um, you've been a, a competitor to a high level. Um, first of all, what, what's your standout kind of memories of being a competitor? Um, secondly, what value do you place on competition for the development of karateka? Okay. Um, first of all, I would say I was a competitor at a, a 
good level, not a high level. Um, and that was through choices early on and probably sometimes naive choices. Um, I probably could have got more going, keeping on that open scene because at like sort of 14, 15, I was competing at a high level, but you yeah. get, sometimes you get sucked into your organization. Yeah. Um, and it's not a bad thing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Met some great people and it's high level karate. But if you look at the, it's hard to tell in karate for me, there's only one world champion, and that's the WKF world champion. That's what I truly believe, and I'll hold my hands up to that. Um, and there's one British champion, that's the BKF, and one English champion, that's the EKF. Having said that, like it's probably an analogy of like World Cup versus like club championships. Yeah. We, I was a good association level fighter, you know, and in terms of football, that means I was probably a great championship fighter. I had a good career at it, you know. I was a good footballer. I was a good karateka. But um, from the time uh, in karate, probably the first time I won um, a senior title, um, I remember it was Nottingham University where all the SKI championships were held then. And I got all the way to the final. I was young at the time, I think 21 or 22 in 19, uh, 22 I was, early 1995 fought a great Scottish fighter. And I just recall, I still have memories of it now, the screams, the screams of people. I felt as though like I was in like Wembley Arena, <laughs> but it wasn't really. There was probably about 100 people screaming in the audience. <laughs> but I just remember that, and that was a great, great memory. First time I ever won, and, and filling the cup full of beer at the end, mm. you know, and, and yeah. everybody, and, and sort of like Asano walking over to me and giving me and smiling, shaking my hand, putting his arm around me. And it was like, you've arrived now. You've become part of his team. Yeah. And, and that was just like a wonderful feeling. And then probably the second time was a year later, which was the second, there was two SKI national championships a year. And I won the second one, which was probably the original one, which was the individual championships which had some great names on it over the years. And you used to get the big cup, which was engraved that you had to return every year, silver yeah. cup. And it'd be a guy from Sheffield that time called Mark Jones. Um, and it was um, Shobu Sambon. So it was Shobu Ippon, then the final was Shobu Sambon. And within about 30 seconds, I'd gone 4-0 up. I was that excited. Um, I was that nervous, but that excited. that I just threw the kitchen sink at him. And uh, I came off, and one of the big champions at the time, Pascal Mura, says, you've lost me a bet there. Uh, so that he betted against somebody else that, like, he, he said that uh, Mark's going to win. So I was that shoved. But it was a bit rough, and, like, my style wasn't very good in that final. I was basically just threw everything at him. I was like, and he came away a bit black and blue. Yeah, uh, but I, I was just so excited and I so wanted it after winning the title the year before I yeah. just didn't want anybody to think that it was a, um, a backup and then the, the, the last one was probably two years later in the Euro Championships um, in the SKI European Championships in those days it was all one open weight and there's 200 guys in the um, in the individual committee and it was like a mega event and I got to the last eight and lost on decision you know, to a guy from Switzerland who uh, went on to win. Yeah. So that was probably, I was so gutted that I'd got so far and yet just missed out. Um, I remember that tournament, I've seen Rafael Agiev aged about 14 and he was just a tiny guy and he was jumping up, punching kids who were like 
it's just an exciting tournament, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. I was much older than him at the time, but like every time he fought, everybody's going, watch this kid. <laughs> He's going to be good. <laughs> you never realise what he'd go on to become. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. And so um, what do you feel the, the benefits of competing can bring to a karateka? Um, putting yourself on the mat. Um, I think there's a lot of karate out there. Um, and karate is always getting slated a lot on videos and that, particularly for bunkai and demonstrations, but you've got a very passive partner. Mm. And you, you know yourself, Ben, you're, you're a wise man. You've, you've got to do that. If, if you didn't have that, you'd never be able to practice anything. Yeah. You know, there's, there's always a route out to something. There's always a counterattack. But you've got to have passivity in, like, working together. Otherwise, nothing would ever get practised. Yeah. Um, nobody would ever take a free kick in football if the goalkeeper just stood there. Like you've you've got to practice things, but it gets challenged a lot. But with karate, um, your one way of challenging that is getting on the mat. And like obviously the intention's different because the intention is to score a point, but the mentality is the same. Mm. Um, you've got yourself on the edge, and it's a way of testing yourself. Um, really, obviously, there's rules involved, which there wouldn't be in a real scenario, and there's techniques involved um, that would be different to a real scenario. But one thing is, you put yourself on the line and you're testing yourself. And um, one thing I'm always aware of, and I talk about this a lot in my classes, is um, for me, there's always three circles there's like a comfort zone, then a growth zone, then a panic zone. So, what we've always got to do, I believe, as an instructor is push people out of that comfort zone. And people without, without competing can get in a karate mindset of staying in their comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, the kids and well, the adults, but mainly it starts at kids' age. If you push them into competition, they get out of that comfort zone into the growth zone. But we have to be careful about pushing them too fast because we send them into panic. Yeah. Yeah. We've just got to be careful as an instructor about getting them all the time in that growth zone and competitions where pushing them past their limits. And there's other benefits, the social benefits, you know, like like some of my like kids who've gone away to university, you know, some of them like great competitors. They've got friends for the rest of their lives yeah. and friends that you, you'll remember differently from the friends that you went to school and university with. You remember um, one of my greatest competitors was a guy called Pascal Mura from SKI. And he was a wonderful karate guy, still is. I mean, he's, he's a few years older than me. And if you looked at him now, he's still got a body like Bruce Lee. Yeah. You know, he's a wonderful guy. And like, you know, we've punched each other. Like, you know, I've broke his teeth, given him black eyes. He smashed me about. And yet when we see each other, like you're best best friends best buddies ever i don't see him too often these days he has taught at my dojo um but you sort of got so much respect for each other i don't think you'd get anywhere else yeah so yeah. i think it's wonderful really it's yeah. not for everybody and i understand them you know yeah um okay so uh we've we talked a little you you kind of briefly mentioned uh, through your description of your journey in karate, motivation. Um, do you find motivation easier now as, as a sort of sixth dan black belt than you have previously, or do you find it harder now that you maybe don't have those 
a mass of senior instructors that you're sort of looking up to uh, for your development? How, how does how's that working for you at the moment? I still look up at many, many people. I still don't don't get me wrong. I still look up at many people. Perhaps like the inspiration is taken from like external factors. That's all I'm saying. Um, getting motivated, I find really hard. Um, naturally, because of my nature, I'm comfortable in this room. Yeah. Um, stepping out and putting myself in front of people. Um, I struggle for motivation to go to class to train myself but when I'm there I've always been an extremely hard trainer I work my socks off I, I, I sort of get to the point where you're here now bang okay you, you, you I've always found the ability to switch the hardest thing for me and I always say this to my students the hardest thing about karate is getting off the couch unless you get injured or humiliated or something horrible in a karate class which injured happens, humiliated should never happen, but occasionally it might happen. Um, you'll always leave feeling better than when you went in. Yeah. So the hardest part is getting off the couch. And I still, to this day, I still, I have to be honest, I still find that difficult. Um, but once you go there, I've always been an extremely hard trainer and I still am to this day. You know, I'll give 100% whatever you do. Um, sometimes these days you have a little like knee issue and things like that that hold you back in your training. But other than that, I train my socks off. And I try to always think if, when I'm teaching as well, it's the same. I think, oh, God, do I have to go? And I'm honest with my students about that. I'm saying, who's ever wanted to quit karate? Put your hand up. And I always put my hand up. Who's it? Who didn't want to come today? I put my hand up. And we're here, guys. You've made the biggest step. You've made the biggest step now. So let's crack on with it. Oh, so that's it. And it's still hard. Um, but when I look back on everything that I've ever done, it's so worthy. And it's yeah. when I walk out of classes, um, it's always hard, but I always tell my instructors, treat every class like it's the last class you're ever going to teach in your life. Yeah. You know, and it's not always like that. If we go with that mentality, once you've got there, try and think like that, and I think you'll be fine. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you think karate's changed much over your time in karate? Yeah, I hear so many old boys saying, oh, it's not the same anymore, but it's much better. <laughs> it's better, much better. I think we, um, when I look back at videos of myself, when I look back at videos of other people, the progression is so much. The fluidity of movement, um, the understanding on how to warm up properly, the understanding on strength and conditioning related to diet. Um, we understand a lot more these days. Basically, people used to kill themselves in the olden days, kill their bodies. Yeah. And then we wonder why people don't do karate anymore. And they say, oh, it used to be great. Uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's better. I think, um, uh, I think competitively, it's, it's a lot higher standard as well. You know, mm. really, some of the guys today, you know, compared, if you took them back 20 years ago, it's progressed so much. Yeah. You know, um, so Technically, it's improved. Athletically, it's improved. Um, I think 
generally karate is um, uh, in a better place, but it still doesn't work well together as an organization, I feel. I think that's still a bit lacking. I think um, um, I think the problem with karate, it hasn't got enough money in organizations. EKF like, haven't got enough money because fundamentally it's not a spectator sport. Um, it's, it's a great sport. Um, when you look at some of the competitions that are run, um, you'll end up with one man and his dog at the end of the day. Um, but that's it needs to reorganize and, and that's due to the like and you lose one thing we've got a problem with in this country is we've got great juniors, great cadets um, and that won't translate to great results at senior level. When you look at the structure, it's not the competitor's fault. It's the structure's fault. You know, when I look at my boys' uh, football team, they've got a clear progression. And it's like a football, like karate competitions are ridiculous. You know, you've been to karate competitions. You have to sit there all day long, probably waiting 10 hours to get your first fight, waiting for all the peewees to finish. Yeah. It's like asking Manchester City to go and sit in the stand while the city juniors teams play and then they get their cold. There has to be something different. Yeah. Um, and and when, when we run our club competition, for example, I get all the seniors up first, the referees are fresh, like everybody's, and then we save the finals of the seniors and all the kids arrive. And I say, all the kids sit around the match, watch this, now's the senior finals. And then the seniors can go back or go and encourage the kids for the rest of the day, whatever they want to do. Yeah. And then we get the kids in and then the sort of junior level kids fight and then we save their finals and then the Tigers come in at the end and they do their tag ball and knee boxing, but they're watching their like their kids who are like five years old and going, wow, look at him. <laughs> and it becomes an exciting day there. And rather than like, I go to some of these karate competitions, I don't want to go myself anymore. So I know my little boy last time, we went to a massive competition. He's sort of eight years old. It's like before pandemic. And he did his kata, got a bronze medal. And then six hours later, he's saying, dad, when am I going to fight? That's no sport. Yeah. That's no sport. And in terms of what I've learned from football, it's far better organized and it wouldn't take a lot to change, really. Yeah. Wouldn't create a lot. It wouldn't take a lot to, to really get this thing under control. But again, I just think people are just uh, going around. So it has changed. And a lot of things, the karate itself is much for the better. The organization isn't always for the better. Yeah. 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 Well, I, it's not, this call's not about politics, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one more question. As, as a coach to others, what aspirations do you have for your students and the people that you are teaching karate to? Right, simply the old adage to be better than me. I have got some who've like really, compared to what I was like at their age, are so far ahead of me. Whether I'll actually stick it through because life gets in the way, life's tougher now, university comes along, uh, girlfriends and boyfriends come along, yeah. life gets in the way, people start careers. But I just keep saying to people, look, there's like, I think a lot of hours in a week, you've still got time for karate. It shouldn't take over your life, it should complement your life. Yeah. So, um, but ultimately, I'd like to create more champions. I'd like to create a few full-time instructors um, so I can put my feet up and go and relax by the seaside. 
<laughs> just to become like great we've got we've had some i've had some great students and even if they're not doing karate now they've gone to achieve great things and i think it's been a great influence on them yeah I've had people have done some wonderful things and, and 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 become great business people great sport i've had people become professional footballers i've had people go off to oxford university i've had people who started their own business uh, I've had people who've become professional MMA fighters, you know, um, and then other people who stuck with karate and become great friends and colleagues and are still striving to improve. So basically people to just become better than me. Yeah. And I think with a bunch of like teenagers that I've got at the moment, it's a fantastic talent. So I just hope to see it through. Yeah. All I can do is try. <laughs> yeah. Great. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been really great to hear your story and talk to you. Um, wish you all the best with the, the dojo and your karate for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. And I wish you all the best as well, especially with your new career. Right, thank you, mate. That's... Bye.